look in the eye. Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 125. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing fantastic. This week, in honor of Montreal's Fantasia Fest kicking off, uh, we'll be reviewing two films screening there. We have Terry Gilliam's The Zero Theorem and the Japanese film Seventh Code. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's talk about someone we've been watching. Kevin, I think it's your turn this week. Oh, my turn. Starting off with me. Okay, I've watched... uh... Karita's like father, like son, his latest, his latest film here with the storyline that goes family been raising their kid for six years. Then they find out that the country hospital that they had the kid at, they switched him at birth. Oh it's, not, boy. it's not their kid. It's not their kid. What? They've, been, they've been raising the wrong kid for the last six years. Right. What? So now they got to decide, do they switch the kids or do they keep the kid? You know, and then they meet, they meet, they meet the other family, they meet their real life son, and it's all about, you know, do they or don't they? And the father is a workaholic, and he's just obsessed with bloodlines. He just wants, he wants his son. I mean, he makes an attempt to have both of them, which backfires terribly. And he's also probably one of the biggest assholes I've ever seen in a film. Like, he's just a dick. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't care about anything. He just wants, his he, he wants, wants his, his cake and eat and eat it too yeah but it, more importantly he just he wants his real kid by blood for some reason i don't know i don't know if there's like something that i'm missing here well i think that like culture wise yeah i think it's got to be cultural because i know like in china like if you don't advance your bloodline you're seen as a failure so i wonder if it's sort of the same thing in japan i think there's a certain amount of that because i mean he's just he's obsessed with it and unfortunately, it becomes a bit repetitive because it's kind of one note where it's just him dealing with that mm-hmm. for the movie's like two hours long. So it's essentially that for like an hour and a half. And it just it sort of doesn't really go anywhere. Now, the one thing that Karita is really good at is getting unbelievable performances out of the kids. And mm. it's no different in like Father Like Son. The kids in this movie are awesome. So much so that I want kids, and then I remember what comes along with that, and I realize that that's a terrible idea. But this movie made me want kids because these kids are awesome. And I, but I just can't believe like this guy wants to get rid of the kid that he's been raising for six years because this kid is like the coolest kid ever. Hmm. He's so awesome. He's and like, it seems like uh, just by looking at the poster here, it seems like that the families are very different. Like, oh man, they're so different. Like they the couldn't... one guy, like they're wearing kind of colorful shirts and they're smiling and they look laid back. And then the other, the other families wearing these kind of neutral, bland colors. Yeah, and... like he's he, he's an architect. He's a workaholic. He like he doesn't really play with his kid, and he's all about discipline and structure. And the other dad's all goofy and plays with his kids. So he's just a laid back, fun loving guy. You can tell by the Hawaiian shirt that he's wearing. <laughs> you totally, totally. But yeah, it's kind of it's very simple. It's a bit disappointing. And then of course they all learn from each other. Of course. I mean they learn. They're learning stuff left and right, I can tell. They learn so much, but not really. <laughs> he he learns like one thing. And it mm. takes him a while. It takes him like two hours to learn it. 
Surprise, surprise. If this was an American film, we would be bashing it because it's so cutesy and family oriented. And so, I mean, he at least handles it much better than a, your typical Hollywood movie would. Yeah. Well, I love Asian films. I love Asian cinema. It's it's something that I think you and I have been into for a long time now. And yes. it's just, it's so funny because I'll go for like quite a while, almost a year maybe, without seeing any Asian movies. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, holy crap, there's this whole other industry, you know, this whole other market of movies that I haven't been looking into because it's so easy for me to just focus on the latest U.S. indies that are coming out, yeah. you know? Well, I do sort of the same thing. I get stuck on my little... Yeah, and then... Go off on little tangents. Right, and then what I do is uh, I go back and I look at all the big Asian movies that came out in the last year, and I start stockpiling them and watching them in bulk. And that's what's happening <clears throat> here. That's why uh, Fantasia Fest is going to be good that we're going to be talking about that because there's a huge number of movies... There's tons. Asian movies that so are going to be playing at Fantasia Fest, which leads me to my first movie that I saw this week. Were you, were you finished talking about? I just wanted to point out that like Father Like Son is playing on Netflix instant, so there you, you can go. check it out there. I saw a movie called Black Butler, which is going to be next screening at Fantasia Fest. This is based on an anime series, probably based on a manga too. But I wasn't familiar with the series before seeing the movie. Yeah. I have a really hard time with these live action adaptations of, of anime movies. Yeah. When they are presented as if they are still an anime. Like the characters are completely over the top. The costumes are ridiculous. Uh, they're overly animated in the things that they say, the way they emote. Yeah. And this movie is just batshit crazy. It's fun, but at the same time, it's kind of goofy, and it just didn't really work for me. But that being said, I know that there are a lot of people that do like these live adaptations, live action adaptations of anime properties. Yeah. But for me, it just doesn't work because it still feels too cartoony. It's like, if I want to see this, I might as well just see the anime. Because yeah. then it doesn't look as ridiculous. Because a lot of it just doesn't translate into live action. And so basically, this film is about a girl who is the heir to a giant toy company. Okay. And her parents get murdered. And she sells her soul to the devil All right. in order to get revenge on the people that murdered her family. Okay. And when she does this, she gets a demon butler. Okay. Who acts as her guardian. Yes. And the yes. butler uses butter knives to kill people. Yes. It's, yes. It is as ridiculous as it sounds. But it's, it is, it's really amazing. fun. It's, she also, not only is she, she's an earl. Okay. And she works for the queen as. Sure. Uh, She's kind of, they call her the queen's watchdog, where she, the queen will hire her or uh, have her do certain investigations. So in this film, there are a series of strange deaths where people are becoming mummified. Oh. 
And it's up to her to figure out who who is causing this. So it's also a detective story. Okay. Okay. It is uh, very weird. It sounds insane. Yeah. Incredibly weird. <laughs> uh, it's not the best movie. A lot of it, it doesn't look very good. There are several really good action sequences, like martial arts action, because this butler guy is fucking awesome. I mean, I, I could just... I would love to see a movie with just this butler. Just the butler. Yeah. I Let's believe he's played, he's played by Hiro uh, Mizushima. Now, is this... Is this the same as the TV show? I don't know. Apparently there was a TV show, 2008-2009. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the anime that this is based on. That sounds like we need to watch that anime. I, yeah, I am going to seek this out because it's... I'm sure that there's more that happened in the show, like more cases and whatnot. And it is a really interesting concept. doesn't really work as in live action, but... Everything with the butler is amazing because he's he's got this kind of like deadpan humor to him. But he does every now and then he'll just do something really weird and goofy and it's really funny. Like he's he's got this kind of dry wit to him. Nice. And it's just great watching him do his weird demon butler thing. Doing his weird demon butler thing. Yep. Now I am... Happy to announce that Black Butler, the TV show, is on Netflix. Oh. Two seasons. Two seasons. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's got 25 episodes in season one. Wow. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely be checking it out. I've actually been watching more anime recently, trying trying to get back into a couple new anime series. I was never a huge fan of anime, but there were a few here and there that I was able to latch on to. So, I'm kind of seeking new anime to get into well it sounds like this is this is one you need to get on it's pretty ridiculous there's a lot of cg in it uh a lot of uh, kind of really weird colorful characters like phoenix wright i've compared it to the live action phoenix wright movie there's a there's a ton of movies like this out there now where they're just kind of ridiculous like there's a scene where they interrogate an undertaker And they cut to him and he's wearing like a top hat and he just looks completely ridiculous. He's got these like super long fingernails and he's wearing like a monocle. And you're just like, what what is this guy? What is he doing? And they're interrogating him. They cut to him and he's just eating a dog biscuit for no reason. I mean, you're hungry, you're hungry. He's just eating a dog biscuit. Undertaker eating a dog biscuit whatever (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so Uh, that's black butler i i would say check out the the tv series because usually with movies like this you get more out of it if you see the the show Uh, because the the one of the huge problems i had with this movie is that it's almost all exposition like Basically, all the dialogue is them telling us what's going on because Uh it is. And even even with them saying what was going on, I had no fucking clue because there's like there's like two lands. There's like an east and a west and they're like kind of at war with each other. And you're just like, what? What is this? What is going on here? Why, Why are they at war with each other? 
Why are these... I have no idea. And when you read the synopsis on Letterboxd, none of that makes sense either. Why is why is the queen employing a teenager to be her watchdog? That just seems that's not going to work out, is it? Well, I, I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's it, it sounds goofy. It is really, really goofy. But fun. It's yeah. not very well made either. I mean, it, oh, it doesn't a... it doesn't look very good. Mm. But it's still pretty fun. Sounds like yeah, like you said, you should have just kept it as an anime. I think in the in the show, it's not a girl that's the main character. I think it's no, a boy. No, it's not. It's a boy. It's a twelve year old boy. Which yeah, and see, makes even less sense. Why would you have your watchdog be a twelve year old boy? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, come on. I have no idea. And it, it, in the in this movie, the main girl she dresses like a boy all throughout the movie. So gotcha. And they, so I don't know why they made her a girl because she dresses like a boy. And I think at times she pretends to be a boy, but I was a little hazy on that. Like I don't really know. What that's all about? Yeah, because I, they did mention that only a, a male can be the heir to this toy company. <laughs> so I have no idea. All right. Wow. Yep. Black Butler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sold. I watched uh, another Billy Wilder classic from 1951, Ace in the Hole, starring Kirk, Kirk Douglas. This is actually the first time I've ever seen Kirk Douglas in something. Hmm. I've never seen a Kirk Douglas movie. I don't know if I ever have either. Um, Kirk Douglas is awesome in this movie, but he's also like he's at level eleven the entire film. He just overacts like crazy. Now, there's certain points in the movies in the movie where it works, where it's like, oh my god, he's killing it in this scene. But then there's other scenes where they're not that important. But he's still at level 11. <laughs> like it's the most important scene in the entire movie. So it does come a bit grating and a little bit irritating. But whatever, for whatever reason, it just works. His character works because he's so ridiculous. <clears throat> and what he is is a former big city newspaper man who lost his job in Chicago and New York. Like all over the place, he ends up stuck in Albuquerque trying to get a job at this small town paper to sort of jumpstart his career hoping that he'll, you know, come on, he'll stumble across the next big story, and then people are going to be, you know, outbidding to get his services and all that. So while he's going to cover a rattlesnake hunt, he finds out that there's a guy stuck in a cave. He was in there, he was trying to get Native American artifacts, and the rocks crumbled in on him, and he's stuck in there. So then what Kirk Douglas ends up doing is he ends up manipulating this entire story and exploiting everything and turns it into this like huge media circus and just everything sort of snowballs from there and he's manipulating the sheriff the engineer the guy's wife i mean he's manipulating everybody and it's kind of working out for him and then it, it backfires on him at the end but this movie is unbelievable the the screenplay is on is awesome the dialogue is awesome kurt douglas is awesome just everything works perfectly. The cinematography is amazing with the, the shots from the mountaintop and the shots inside the cave. It's just, it's something else. Like the cynicism that's on display here is, it just seems ahead of its time for 1951. Hmm. Sort of this like huge expose of 
the media circus and sensations. And it's just really disgusting. I'm going to check this out. I, I have seen one Kirk Douglas movie, and that's Greedy from 1994. Greedy? Greedy. Hmm. Remember that? With Michael J. Fox. It was a comedy. It was like a, a family where they're trying to... They're all like fighting over their heir to see oh. who get who gets the money. Never seen it. Never saw that one? I don't even know what it you're talking one, about. It was one of those that they used to play on Comedy Central. Oh, so it's good. Yeah. Greedy. Greedy. This Will is Hartman, uh, Ed Bagley Jr. was in it. Uh, that's starting to ring a bell. Starting to ring a bell. Anyways, Ace in the Hole, 10 out of 10. It's unbelievable. 10 out of 10. Wow. Like I, you know that I liked like earlier Wilder movies. We sort of talked about them, uh, Double mm-hmm. Indemnity and uh, Sunset Boulevard and everything. This one is making me rethink those because this one is so much better hmm. than those films. And those were 10 out of 10s. But here he's just, everything is perfect. He got rid of the ridiculous, annoying voiceover narration, you know, where it tells you what's happening, even though you're watching it happen. Like that's gone. This is just straightforward movie and it's awesome. Hmm. Seems like you're turning into a pretty big Wilder fan here. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So that's like what three ten out of tens? I think. Yeah. Have, I think have so. there been any Wilder movies that you saw that you didn't give a ten out of ten to? You know what? That's a good question. That's a good question, my friend. Let me check real quick. I don't think there was. No. Um, the Lost Weekend was not mm. a ten out of ten. Not mm. a ten out of ten. There's still like a nine though. But it's kind of cool. like these are right up your alley. These are like I know classic Hollywood. I know I gotta I gotta get on some of these. Well, I saw one that's that's not really. I don't know if he caught a classic, and it the fact that it's coming after a Billy, Billy Wilder movie kind of cheapens it even more. It's a film from 1984 called Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet. Yep. So this is basically about two valley girls that kind of get stuck in the apocalypse. So basically, there's a comet that passes by Earth. And it, le- it gives off some sort of crazy radiation that vaporizes everyone. Okay. Except for people that were in, st- in steel enclosures. So, for instance, the one, the main character played by Catherine Mary Stewart, basically she was in a radio, st- or no, she was in a uh, projection booth in a theater that had steel walls and her younger sister was, for some reason, sleeping in a shed <laughs> that was lined with steel. Uh, and they so the the science is airtight, is what you're yes, saying. Yes, yes. They wake up. The city's completely empty. Everybody's been turned to dust, and the people who haven't been turned to dust sort of turn into zombies. Okay. For some reason. Sure. Uh, because apparently there's like radiation that the comet left off that infects you and turns you into zombies. Mm-hmm. And then there's this think tank that is watching all of this happen and they're trying to develop a cure, but they are sort of evil and they go to try to kill the girls. It is madcap. It, wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it is sounds... a, it's fun. It's very 80s, which is one of the reasons I like it so much. I actually just got this on Blu-ray. Scream Factory put out 
a Blu-ray, which looks pretty pretty great. It's a new 2K transfer from the original 35 millimeter print of this. Wow! So it looks good, but if yeah. you're not into these kind of cheesy 80s sci-fi movies, probably not for you. This is these are the movies I like to go to when I'm feeling down and out. Yeah, I mean it's these are, these are the ones that lift my spirits. It's not it's not like a hardcore horror movie. There's not tons of blood and guts. It's more it's lighter. It's more fun. It's also known as Teenage Mutant Horror Comet Zombies. Sure. So, <laughs> I mean, come why on. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's Directed by Tom Eberhart, the guy who also did Captain Ron. Captain what now? Captain Ron. Captain Ron. Yeah, remember Captain Ron? Oh my god. (laughs) I forgot that that existed. Yep. Holy shit, we gotta make Ryan watch Captain Ron. Heck yeah. That needs to happen. Eye patches. Mm. Don't have really too much else to say about it. It's, It's a fun movie. It's a classic <clears throat> 80s movie. There's a scene yeah. where they go to a mall and the mall's completely empty. So they just run around and take everything they want. And then there's like this band of roving bad guys that try to kill them. And they, they have uh, Mac 10s in it because it turns out that their dad is. He's a uh, Green Beret and they know how mm-hmm. to shoot. So. They get these Mac 10s and they're kind of badass. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a f- it's very fun. If you haven't seen it, uh, it was a first time watch for me. Never saw it before. You know what? That is a perfect segue because I watched a movie of 80s greatness, Q. Yeah, now Q is way better than Larry Comet. Cohen Larry Cohen's Q. Um, wow. Where to start? <laughs> where can where, you, where can you start? Where to start? With Q. This is, this is Michael Moriarty gives one of the most mesmerizing performances I've ever seen. I don't know what he's channeling in this movie, but it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And I'm not, I mean, that's half joking, half serious. Like, he's just on some next level shit here in this movie. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what his character is, but he's created this character where it is just... I could have watched him for the next 48 hours. I'm not even kidding. When he would just go off in his little tangents and just mumble shit, stream mm-hmm. of consciousness style, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. When he would just break down, it, there's so many different things that he says. When he you know, yells out, I ran twice in one day, I ran. <laughs> and he, he's like, I, I stink and I just want to cry. I haven't cried since I was a little kid and I just want to cry. And he just breaks down into this, like, mentally handicapped, like, a small child. I don't know what it is, but it's like, it's a mixture of Casey Affleck mixed with the guy from The Room mixed with, I don't even know what. But it is, it's unbelievable. Why why is everyone giving me revolvers? (laughs) There's a mime juggler chasing a suspect at one point and just... His reaction when Roundtree is picked up by Q is just unbelievable. And when they're the cops are sort of hanging out waiting for the giant lizard, flying lizard to come back, the one cop takes a swig of Budweiser for some reason. 
Like he has a can of Budweiser with him. Mm-hmm. What the? F- I don't, it's just and it, when Carradine Carradine gets attacked, yeah, David Carradine's in this too, and mm-hmm. he's he's terrible. Yes, he's so bad. He's not as bad as Candy Clark, who I mean, she showcases some of the worst acting I've ever seen. But Carradine is almost attacked by the giant flying lizard, and they shoot him. They shoot the lizard, and they're just standing there, him and the other guy, and, and Carradine's just like, <laughs> big. And the other guy just goes, yes. And then cut. End of scene. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. This is, I could just watch this for all day. All day, every day. When Moriarty's in the Chrysler building, he tries to take a piss, and he's attacked by a pigeon and a skeleton. <laughs> and when the guy freaks out that they stole his lunch pail... He's like, that's the third one this month. Cut the shit. <laughs> Just, oh my God. This is, this is also available on Scream Factory. Buy it. Buy it immediately. I and, just, and the fact that Moriarty's like a jazz pianist and he just, for like five minutes straight, he's just like scatting. <laughs> just dicking around, scatting. And then later he's like, yeah, you know who taught me that? And then he just throws the N-word out there for no reason. And it doesn't affect anybody. It's just an N-word thrown in there from Moriarty. And everyone is, seems to just be cool with it. Yeah, he's kind of a dick in this movie. He's kind of a criminal. Yeah, he's like a he's like a piece of shit. But he's also like mentally challenged in some <laughs> way. Like I don't know what it is though. I would love to see I would love to see the script for this movie. Just to see what was originally written in the script yeah. and what was but, just Moriarty doing his thing. Moriarty does this thing all over this, and it's the only reason it works. If Moriarty is not in this, oh, it this be, is the worst yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it would and I just would be watch it. It'd be a generic '80s monster movie with very but, questionable stop motion animation. But man, when Moriarty breaks down and just mumbles and just yells stuff, it is—it's cinematic magic. It's unbelievable. I completely agree. I would love to see more Larry Cohen, Michael Moriarty team-ups because I've seen, I'm pretty sure I saw everything now that they did together. They also did uh, Return to Salem's Lot, which was pretty good. I never saw the original Salem's Lot, so I don't know. <laughs> so I just saw the sequel. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's it's like way different. And I saw... Island of the Alive, which was the third It's Alive movie. And those two uh, are fun. Those two are fun, too. Uh, Return to Salem's Lot is more more classic Moriarty. Like, that. that's uh, closer. Well, it's closer to, to the stuff in Q is what I mean. Oh, okay, good. Island good. of the Alive is more him kind of playing it straight, but. this Yeah, I thought the entire ending of Q is amazing with the. This psychopathic killer gets Moriarty in his hotel room. And he's like, the only way I can kill you is if you surrender your flesh to the gods. So you have to say this prayer. Moriarty's like, I ain't saying shit. I ain't saying shit for you. And the guy's like, you have to say the prayer. I can't kill you otherwise. And Moriarty's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. I ain't doing it. So they just, like, they get in an argument for five minutes about him having to say the prayer and him not wanting to. Which just seems kind of odd that he was able to kill anyone throughout the movie. Because they have to say the prayer for it. Just don't say it and you live. Very simple. 
And then he yeah. gets shot in the chest like 87 times by Carradine. And then Carradine just leaves the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a cop. Kills a guy. Like the main suspect that's been terrorizing New York for the last, I don't know how many weeks. Kills him in a hotel room. Just leaves him. Just hangs up the old made makeup my room card on the knob. And then just leaves. That's Carradine's style. That's right. He's badass. It's just, this is... Oh, it's a must-see. It is. This is a 80s classic. 80s fucking classic. This kind of sticking, my... kind of sticking with yeah. the creature the creature feature. Oh, what have we got? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, goodness. So I saw uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes this week. I really had no desire to see it. The only reason I went to see it is because I knew I had to write a review for the site. For some reason, like I really enjoyed the first one, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I was initially excited to see this one but at some point it lost me and i was just i had no desire to see it i can say however this movie is amazing really it is astoundingly good i was so surprised at everything that i was witnessing on on the screen it's it's a summer blockbuster but what they do with it is so much more than a typical summer blockbuster that we see these days. Yes, it's an action spectacle. The special effects are incredible, but it's the story and the characters that really elevate this movie to just something more than just your standard, you know, summer popcorn movie. Yeah. I will say that the motion capture in this movie is jaw-dropping. It is like nothing I have ever seen before. They take this shit to new levels. The opening scene, the opening shot of this movie is just an extreme close-up on Caesar, the main ape. Extreme close-up on his face. And I have no idea how they did it. I mean, you cannot tell what is real and what is CG in this movie. It looks incredible. And it will certainly win awards. This, this movie deserves awards. Hmm. So I, I think I gave it an eight and a half in my review. So you, you can read my full review if you want more details. But the thing I liked was the, it, it amazes me that I was somehow able to feel so much emotion towards these creatures that I knew in the back of my mind were not real. You know, I knew that they were animated. I knew that there were people behind them, of course, with the motion capture, but I still felt like as I was watching it, I was really feeling for these fictitious apes that were on the screen. And yeah. there were like a, there were a couple moments in this movie that I actually got choked up while I was watching it. Oh, apes are choking you up? Yeah. And the first yeah. one did that too. But this one this one just <clears throat> because it, this one looks even better, it kind of uh you know makes it draws you into that world even more and it takes place 10 years after the events of rise of the planet of the apes so caesar's older their their civilization has grown and there's one of the apes from the last one is kind of not really agreeing with some of caesar's choices when it comes to working with the humans because the whole premise of this movie is that there is a colony of humans in San Francisco 
their power has gone out and that what they need to do is send a group of people to this dam to get it up and running so they can get power back on their little community. Yeah. And in order to get to the dam, they have to go through the ape's home. So it okay. basically, Caesar kind of sets this rocky truce with the humans and lets them work on getting the dam up and running. And he even uh, tasks some of the other apes to help get it up and running. Uh, but things fall apart. I'm not going to spoil what happens or what causes it, but I think that we all know in the trailer, they end up going to war. Ooh. And there is mm. one, there's one shot in particular that not only blew my mind, but it, it kind of solidified the fact that this is not your typical Hollywood blockbuster. And it was a scene involving one of the apes jumping onto a tank and he, the way that they shot it, they fixed the camera like on the tank turret so the camera didn't move but it moved with the tank turret and it was just this it was like a a, it was all one shot no cuts it was probably a minute long yeah and the whole thing just played out in real time where you see the ape going into you know the 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 the, um entrance the the what do they call it The 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 front door of the tank Right, the you know the circular thing that you go down into the tank, the hatch, the hatch, it's the tank hatch, going down into that, and then you see like you hear noises, you see a guy fly out, you see another guy fly out, and then you see him standing on top of the turret shooting a gun, and just the way that it was shot was so incredible, it was so artistically done that hmm. I was just like this this movie is such a surprise. It's incredible. I had so much fun with it. Probably my favorite movie of the entire summer so far. Wow. I can't recommend it highly enough. I feel it, as though I have to watch this now. You really should see the first one first, wow. though. Now I got so there's two movies I got to watch. Yeah, the first one's really good, though. It's not like it's going to be right. a slog to get through. What's that one called so I don't make the same mistake I did with Star Rise Trek? Of, the Rise. first one's called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So they're Donning and Rising. Rising and then dawning. Right. Okay. Which probably should have been reversed, but whatever. What? Um, I just can't recommend it highly enough. It was, okay. like I said, no expectations going into it. So surprised. And like most good sci-fi movies, there is a kind of a sociopolitical message behind this movie. And I, the thing that I found interesting was that you could draw several conclusions from this movie. Mm-hmm. You could say that this is about gun control. You could say that this is about race. You could say that this is about political affiliation. There's there's a lot of things that you could draw draw from with this movie that pertains to so our of, modern society. So it sort of leaves it a little open, a little open-ended for interpretation. It, at least to me, yeah, because... I've been, after I wrote my review, I'd read some other reviews, and there are people that have different theories on what the the thematic elements of this film really represent. And to me, I think that you could look at it you, you cut different it, ways. Cut it several ways. Yeah. I, like I think that. one thing is for sure, they are definitely anti-gun they are in this anti, movie. They are anti-gun. Yeah. Or are they anti-ape? 
Well, that's kind of where it gets a little Are a they... little tricky because in the film, Caesar is he empathizes with the humans, whereas the his kind of he's as a follower, but he's kind of starting to question his his rulings. Uh, his name's like Koba or something. Koba. He hates the humans and okay. he wants to fight against the humans. And you start to realize that, you know, there's like the left and there's the right. And then you start to realize that both of these sides are similar to one another. The apes look at themselves as being better than the humans because they don't kill each other. Their one rule is apes don't kill other apes. But then they start going against the humans and they Caesar starts to realize that no we're not better than the humans and oh. right oh man all right i guess i got to watch the planet of the apes it's really good like really really good yeah. see it in the theater also i didn't see it in 3d i saw it in 2d but it was still oh jesus it was still really good read read my review to get like all my more detailed thoughts on it all right, I'll do that. That's it. That's all I got. Okay, well, let's go ahead and jump into our first review. This week, we're talking about The Zero Theorem. Ooh. This is directed by Terry Gilliam. I feel like he hasn't done a whole lot in yeah, a while. Like, I think it, his last thing was uh, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yes, from... Which, which I did not 2000, like. 2009. Yeah, that was Heath Ledger's last film. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, Gilliam is known for having his productions are ripe with technical difficulties and funding problems. And I mean, yep. it seems like his movies take forever to be made. Well, I remember. Or, they ju- or they're just not made. <laughs> yeah, they just don't get made. I, I saw The Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus in the theater. And I remember, I actually remember very little from the movie itself, but I remember thinking that it was okay but not really not really loving it yeah uh and the what was the one he did before that tideland Um, tideland tideland from 2005 you love that movie oh my god i couldn't stand that movie you are all about tideland and that was a blind buy for me i bought that on dvd without seeing it and ugh, it was it was really bad so anyway the zero theorem I have a synopsis here. A computer hacker whose goal is to discover the reason for human existence continually finds his work interrupted thanks to the management. Namely, they send a teenager and lusty love interest to distract him. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, well, what do you think it is? You hit me with yours, with your synopsis. I don't think they're trying to distract him. I think that they're trying to um, get give him these things to help him work more efficiently. I think that they send the lusty love interest because when she appears in, in the, when she gets into the picture, he's like losing it. You know, he needs to relax and let off some steam. He is losing it. He's definitely losing it. It seems like most of the movie is just Christoph Waltz losing it. Yeah. And I just over and over again, which I'm not, I don't like stories like that where people are losing it. I find it annoying for some reason. Well, maybe it was Tilda Swinton doing 
doing whatever the hell she's doing. Very similar. Yeah, it's, Tilda, so, so Tilda, let's go over the cast real quick. So we have Christoph Waltz as the, the main character, Cohen. No, Q, no you. Uh, we have uh, Matt Damon plays management. Correct. Tilda Swinton in a role that is very similar to to her role in Snowpiercer. At it's, least it's almost the exact same. Yeah, which kind of cheapens her performance in Snowpiercer. Yeah, for me a little bit. Uh, David Thewlis. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. I mean, I've seen him in so many different things. He's he, I, I like him a lot. He is the guy that gave one of the greatest performances ever in the movie Naked. And we also have uh, Melanie Derry. Derry? Three? Three? Three, maybe. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Nailed it. We're so fucking good with names. Oh, no, it's terrible. Anyway, Kevin, what did you think of the Zero Theorem? Rather one note, isn't it? Well, I think it's that... It's a bit uh, just sort of rehashing yeah. the same yes. thing but, but over maybe, and over again. But isn't that, isn't that part of it, though? Isn't that it, part of the point? Yeah. That he's I mean, just going through this... This mm. tedious monotony of, of yeah. life where every day is the exact same and he's doing the same thing over and over. Sure. But your movie doesn't have to be that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know that it sort of plays into what the movie itself is about. But, I mean, there's just not much here. Especially not for, you know, what was it, an hour and 45 minutes, something like that. It's just the same thing repeated over and over and over again and mm-hmm. it's, you know they're trying to make these like thinly veiled connections with the internet and video games and yep which i didn't like no they were just they were so they were so basic it well i mean there's it's the kind of thing that like a 13 year old could write well to me to me it felt like terry gilliam is not necessarily in touch with what's no, happening yeah he doesn't seem him technology. and him and the writer Pat Russian just seem like they're not they're not in tune. Right. Cuz it seems like this this kind of topic has been dealt with um, you know years ago. Yeah, it, it to me it really came off as like a really cheap version of Brazil. Well, it, that's it's in, it's interesting that you brought up that point because visually and even structurally, this film felt like it was something straight out of the 80s or even early 90s to me. Yeah. Like, it, with it, that it just looked, it had that look. Yeah. With that being said, like the production design, the art design, set design, everything is just unbelievable. Loved it. It looks, it looks fantastic. He, Terry Gilliam, you can't, whatever you think about the man... You can't deny that he is able to build worlds. But it, yep. if you sort of get the sense that he spends entirely too much time building the world that he kind of forgets about the story that he's supposed to be telling. Like, a, yep. like all the focus and energy goes into building this world and then the movie's done. And he's like, oh, fuck, I forgot about the narrative and everything. Shit, hopefully people won't notice. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I loved every time they would go outside, I... I loved everything like the how his house looked from the outside the streets uh it just it all had this incredibly lived in feel to it yeah and i just i loved all that stuff that was great and even you know for what i've read 
for the most part is that this film for Gilliam was perhaps the first one in a long time where he really didn't have any production issues. I mean, he had a really low budget and he just shot it and everything went smoothly and it was done, which, I mean, he has whole documentaries about how he can't make films. He just always runs into problems. And sort of getting a little behind-the-scenes taste of, like, what the budget was, it's it's very impressive, especially, like, the with uh, Christoph Waltz, the games that he's playing where he's trying to, to figure out this theorem, and he's trying to get zero to equal 100%, and everything. Mm-hmm. It sort of looks like this ridiculous offshoot of Intelligent Cube, where he's yeah. just crunching all these cubes. It's putting cubes inside of holes and other cubes. Yeah. And none of that worked for me. No, I mean it looks it looks great, but at the same time, it's just there's extended scenes where he's just they're just showing you that like he's yeah. just playing that game, and you're like, I get it, I get it, I know, I understand what he's doing. He's trying to get zero to equal 100 percent. He's trying to because, crack this theorem. Yeah, because human existence is nothing. I get it. Right, and that's what he's. And, Matt da- and that's what Matt Damon basically. So it starts off with. Christoph Waltz is kind of, um, he's kind of an introvert, to say the least. He's agoraphobic. He doesn't want to leave his house, but he has to commute to work every day. He doesn't like people touching him, and he puts in to work from home, right? And basically, Matt Damon, who plays his boss, sees this and says, okay, yes, you you can work from home. We're going to put you on this other project. And that's when he's tasked with trying to crack this theorem that proves that existence is pointless and it's nothing and there's nothing to it and nothing means anything. Yeah. And he's also waiting for a phone call that he believes right. is going to explain you know, the meaning of life to him through a phone call for some reason. But he's that phone call never comes and he's continuously interrupted yep. on his search to find out the exist you know, the meaning of human existence and, and it does continuously interrupted by life itself it, and it does feel very much like brazil like this it could even be in the same world as brazil well, it's a part the, of his like loose trilogy the way gilliam has said this in 12 monkeys in brazil yeah and and 12 monkeys too the the way that they he shoots like he uses fisheye lenses to sh- and Things like that to just make things kind of even weirder and more strange. And I liked all that stuff. Uh, I just didn't. Unfortunately, the the story is completely uninteresting. Yeah, there just wasn't a lot to the story. I I really liked it, actually, when they brought the kid in, Bob. Because I felt like bringing that kid in was almost like breathing a little bit of life into this movie. Because Christoph Waltz is... You know, to to put it nicely, he's a morose motherfucker in this movie. And yeah, he's just yeah. irritating, and he just puts you in a yeah. He's not likable. No, he's he's just, not likable. There's nothing to him. He doesn't really say anything. He's just completely uninteresting. And for some reason, he doesn't put pants on. Yeah, that's that's he's true. Just, he works naked he will, a lot. He will not put pants <laughs> on. And really, that was the only thing that I. had. I was commenting on as I was watching the film. I just every time they showed him, I'm thinking, put some fucking pants on, could you, please? Like I know that this is supposed to be weird and sort of off the wall, but at least put some pants on. Yeah. If you're not gonna have anything to say, 
at least wear pants. One of my favorite scenes for some reason was the the scene when he and Bob went to the park and were just sitting on that bench and there were all those <laughs> ridiculous signs behind them. <laughs> and all the things that you can't do. Yeah. I just, I like the look of that scene. And to me, that was like when we realized that Christoph Waltz's character's starting to make a change. Like he's starting, like these people that have come into his life are starting to make a change in him for the better. Yeah. And he, I liked, I liked that, that sequence. Cause if you remember right after he came back, they, they came back from that's when he started saying I and me. Yeah. Which is another thing that I found annoying. I oh my goodness. The fact that he says we and us. Yes. Ugh. It's just, it's really annoying. And I found that to be really grating. It's just, like I said, it, unfortunately, it's just, it's really one note. I mean, the screenplay is just the same thing over and over again. That there's no meaning to what we do and stop trying to figure out what it is because you waste all this time and you miss life. Yep. Entirely. And it's like, great, I got that within the first 15 minutes. Do you have anything else to say? And then for the next hour and 30 minutes, Terry Gilliam's like, yeah, I do. And then he says the same thing again. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. Gil- I, I got that. Do you have anything else to say? And then he repeats himself again. And it's just a constant argument where you're trying yeah. to get Gilliam to say something more and he won't. Which I think has a lot to do with the screenplay. Because reading a little bit about Pat Russian's screenplay is this guy wrote it in 10 days and he even said that he has no idea what he's doing. He has no idea how to write a screenplay. So much so, in fact, that he's he's checking out like screenwriting books. Uh, he watched Brazil to try and figure out how to write a screenplay. And my God, does it show. It's like I'd, how this became a movie is just baffling to me. Yeah, I agree. Probably would have worked better as a short film. Oh, it would have been an amazing short film. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. he was just like 20, 30 minutes long with the art, yeah. you know, the art design and everything that they have behind it, it would have been incredible. Yeah. There's a lot of comedy in this movie that I don't think really works. Um, but I'm also not sure if that was like, was that I think intentional? That, I think that's a lot of it. I don't know if was. it was intentional. The, the thing that made me laugh probably the most out of everything was him shooing the birds <laughs> that, that were in his yes. house <laughs> like i don't know that that i found to be funny because he does it for like two seconds and then gives up and then tries again and it just doesn't work and he just gives up oh my goodness and when he wears the hat and the shades when he goes oh, to God. the park like that i honestly i that's what kind of bothers me a little bit is i'm not sure that that was supposed to be intentionally funny like the the wardrobe changes from Matt Damon when he goes into the room and he's wearing yeah. the clothes that blend in with the drapes yeah. and and it, it, that to me I just don't understand why Matt Damon is even in this movie. Yeah, he's in it. He's in it so little, and he does again. He doesn't have much to say. Nope. Everyone's just in the future. Everything's made out of latex. <laughs> it's just latex jackets. And it's just, all you hear is latex all the time, which is really irritating to me. I can't stand the sound of rubber and latex. There's also apparently a Church of Batman, which I I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. (laughs) Church of Batman the Redeemer. So you got, see, again, 
Gilliam's really good at world building, but he just forgot to do everything else. Yeah. And the acting's not really any good. I thought Christoph Waltz was terrible. But, again, he's not really given much to do, though. Yeah, I, I don't really... I, I don't really have anything to say about his <laughs> performance because it was just... There's just so little there. Yeah, it's... Uh, I definitely cannot recommend this one. I, I, I mean, kudos to everyone with the set design and everything. You know what I mean? Those guys did an amazing job. Yeah. Those men See, and women. That, I mean, this world is... It's so fully realized. Yeah. And, and it just that, seems real. That makes me kind of want to give it a light recommend just if if you're a fan of Terry Gilliam and you you like Brazil you like 12 monkeys you like that kind of futuristic dystopian look where everything's kind of cluttered and there's just colors everywhere and just all kinds of crazy wild contraptions might be worth checking out might be worth checking out don't expect a lot from the story i think that it was trying to be entirely like i think it was trying to be more deep than it really was well yeah that would yeah yes it was because it's not deep at all and for that i don't think it necessarily worked it did get very um it just it just dragged it just dragged oh boy did it (laughs) it i mean i was i was checking the clock about 20 minutes in i was ready yeah yeah there you have it the zero theorem it will next be screening at fantasia fest and this will i think open here in the u.s october august yeah august 19th (laughs) there you go let's move on to a film called seventh code this is directed by kiyoshi kurosawa who did Pulse, the original Pulse. Yeah. From 2001, which I... Did you see that one? We, yeah, we actually saw did that we, together. Did you see that together? Yeah. Big fan. Uh, he also did The Cure, which I just saw that a couple... Maybe a year or two ago, and I loved it. And he also did Tokyo Sonata, which is probably his most famous, most critically acclaimed, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would so. say so. Uh, he also did Bright Future. Bright Future, was, that was, was the next one I was going to mention. Yes. I was a big fan of that one. So he's a he's a pretty big director. Pretty big right. Japanese director. So this film doesn't have a plot synopsis. I think that I did read that with this movie, they're kind of keeping everything under wraps with the plot for some reason. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is what it seems. And it's... A very short film. It's a thriller, 60 minutes, so it's an hour long. I don't know why it's billed as a feature. Probably shouldn't be. Yeah, because it's it's a, I think it's only actually like 53 yeah, minutes long. Not and then there's the credits. Yeah. yeah, and then there's like a music video thrown in at the end for some reason. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to that. It stars. Um, oh, I can't wait for you to. Atsuko Maeda. Oh, you're off to a good start. And uh, Ryohi Suzuki. Well, that was actually pretty good. Probably not. I probably <laughs> still butchered it. Nah. Uh, I don't know how much we should talk about with this movie as far um, as the plot. I think I think we can say that basically it's about... It takes place in Russia. It's a Japanese film, but it takes place in Russia. 
and it is about a, a girl who is trying to find a she, she goes to Russia to find a man that she once had coffee with who never called her back. Yes, it starts off with a very very preposterous plot. Like from the outset, as soon as you learn what's the crux of this, the beginning, you're like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you serious?" But and the way she, that she, the way that she acts, she doesn't really seem she never really seems like she's quite with it. No. Though. There's she seems like the type off. of kind of bubbly airhead that might do something like this. Yeah. So but anyway, you, so she's infatuated with this guy, finds out that he moved to Russia, so she goes to Russia, and he basically does the same thing again, mm-hmm. ditches her. She follows him uh, to this like factory building where I love how the dude, the guys tell her to leave, she doesn't, and then they stuff her in a burlap sack and throw her in a field. <laughs> yep. I mean, you're you're warned once. They give you, you know, they give you a warning. If you don't listen, you get, you end up in a burlap sack. It's usually how it happens. I think that's fair. I think that this film's saving grace is its runtime. I think that all oh, the runtime is unbelievable. We need more if, of this. If this was any longer, it would have lost me. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I'd, I would say that it's from the outset. It's interesting because, like I said, it's got this preposterous plot. The way that it starts. And then it sort of goes into this thriller type, but from the point of view of the stalker, because she seems like a stalker, honestly. Right. Yeah. So you're like you're following the stalker around. But but she seems like a well, to, she's not creepy stalker. She's like a no, well-meaning stalker. She's a well, but you also don't know why she's stalking this man. Because you know they had coffee once. He never called back. So. Yeah, she's a bit off. You know, she following them the whole way to Russia. Yeah. And she's trying to meet up with this guy. Even after being put in a burlap sack and ditched <laughs> in a field, she is still trying to meet up with this guy. And plus, it should be noted that they didn't give her her suitcase back that contained her passport and everything that she owns. So she has nothing. She has nothing. So she ends up eating at like a Japanese restaurant and doesn't have any money so she's just working it off hoping that one day he will pass by the window and she'll see him and then she can meet up with him so she doesn't even she's kind of a lazy stalker too (laughs) it's like she's not actively going out and trying to find this guy she's just sitting by a window hoping that at some point in the day he's going to walk past the window of this side street japanese diner right and i think that there's russia yeah there's reasons behind all of these things that I, that I don't think we can get into without spoiling anything. Yeah, it does. It ex- you find out later on what's going on, which is I think, like you said, that's its other saving grace besides the runtime, which is which is great because yeah, like you said, I think I would the film would have lost me if it was any longer. Right. And, but I do and, enjoy how it just it completely changes. Just out of oh, know. it switches gears big time, and yeah. I, I thought that that was great. Like, as soon as it did that, because to me, it was like it did it at just the right moment. Correct. Yes. It was like, right when I'm about to tune out, it was like, bam. And then they hit you with it. And they, they do it in a way that I think is really smart because they don't they don't hold your hand through anything that's no, happening. They do not. They, they, they're like, anything. okay. Yeah. They just, they drop you right in and you, you got to figure out, oh, okay. All right. So this is where we're going here. 
And uh, so I, I liked all that stuff. Um, I, I didn't think it was a very good looking movie. I don't know what kind of camera they used, but I thought it looked like shit. Yeah, it does look terrible. This the, this looks like a first feature. Yeah. Not a movie from a well-established Japanese director. Yeah, this must have been one of these like little no-budget side projects that he wanted yeah, to do or this something. Fe- this sort of feels like, like a cinematic exercise. You know what I mean? Like he's just trying something out with like, yeah, a like narrative maybe- construct. Yeah, like maybe he just read a short story or something and it seemed cool and he was just like, oh, you know, want to check this out. I mean, the the cinematography is good. It's just that I felt that whatever camera he used looked very bad. It looked like video and yeah. I didn't... Couldn't get behind it. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't get behind that too much. I liked a lot of the the settings, like the, uh, the apartment, like the, I guess, lobby area of the apartment where there were all those orange... Uh, curtains yeah like i liked all all that stuff as far as like the production design but yeah there is it's it's an interesting movie i'm not quite <laughs> sure like where where i sit with this no one. i no. I like i said it, i really it's interesting and i really liked what he did storytelling wise i enjoyed that a lot but everything else is sort of it's severely lacking Oh, it's and it's cinematography. It's incredibly everything. bland. It's it's a movie that's only an hour long, but it feels maybe that's why they are billing it as a feature length because it feels, it feels like a feature length movie. <laughs> it feels like one. Like all the time that she's working in the the restaurant and stuff, it's just I don't know. That just it just drags on and on. And I think we should talk about the music. <laughs> The music video uh, comes out of nowhere at the yeah. end of the movie. Now, it should be noted that that the the lead actress, Atsuko Maeda, she's a pop star in Japan. Yeah. And no, I, I'm sure that that's why they included that. But it felt so out of place and so unnecessary. It's just... And it cheapened the film. Big time. Because at first you're just thinking like, okay, they're going to play this song through the credits. Right. You know, it's going to be like a little performance credits. I thought that was the end of the movie. No, the movie keeps going. But I will say, I loved how it ended. I did. I thought that was great. I thoroughly enjoyed the ending as well. It's just unfortunate that right before that, you have her in a music video. Yeah. I don't understand it because it didn't fit. Now, I've seen plenty of Japanese films that do this exact same thing, but it always fits within the context of the movie. And this doesn't fit at all. Yeah. It's very bizarre. I like the song, but (laughs) it just didn't, that did not work for me. No, not at all. But again, I'm not like, I'm not sure where I sit on this one. It's a tough one. I don't even know if I can, I can recommend it based solely on the fact that it's 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. hey, this movie's Breezy. not long. This yeah. movie's not that long. It's it's fairly interesting. And I do want... I guess I, it is a recommend. Because I'm just interested to see what people say. I recommend it for those same reasons. Uh, I did like where it went. I liked the twist. I liked um, everything that happens from that point when they kind of switch gears. I thought that it was all... I was just kind of a you know, holy shit type thing. Cause I didn't see it coming. And no, not at all. You do not see it coming. 
And it's interesting because I think that the way they shot it, it was like, you know, that there's so much more to what's yeah. going on there than what we know. Yeah. And I, li- and I like that they did that. Because as soon as that twist happened and there's that development, there's still not like, that's it. There's no other developments. And you're just like, okay, so wait a second. Yeah. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. Who, you have to kind of put a lot of it together yourself. Who, who is who? I don't understand yeah. this. Yeah. And for that alone, I will give this a recomm- recommend. It's just, I feel like it just takes a couple missteps and I wish it looked a little bit better. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, we didn't rate either of these. So let's go ahead and let's mm. rate the zero theorem first. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll go out and say I'm going to give zero theorem a five out of ten. Oh, I thought we were going to keep the streak going. thought we had it. I'm going four. And yeah. all four stars are for production design, set design, art design. Negative six for everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I really liked the, the look of that movie. And there were a couple parts that made me laugh and a couple things I thought were interesting. But I guess five is pretty generous on, on my part. But whatever. I said it, so I need to stand by it. Yeah, you got to back it up. Seventh Code, what are you going to give that one? Mm, starting off with me. I think, oh, goodness. I'm going to go, I think I might go with six. I'm going to go with six. I'm going to give uh, Seventh Code a six and a half. This is one of those that I have a feeling in a couple of weeks that score could be entirely different. Which, yeah. which happens with most movies, but this one I'm really... With me, because I saw this last night, so I've had a little bit of time to think about it. And it it stuck with me a little bit. So my my initial score has gone up a little bit Uh-oh. since since watching it because I've had some time to think about it. And oh boy, yeah. So let's stick with a six and a half. So there you have it. Uh, I think we'll next week we'll probably talk about some more of the films that are on the Fantasia Fest lineup because they they have a huge lineup this year and a lot of really interesting looking movies. So they sure do. I think we'll I think we'll stick with that. Uh, let's go over some predictions. Last week we said Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, you said eighty two. I said eighty one. Actual ninety. Wow. Yeah. Boyhood, which uh, <laughs> we thought was coming out on video on demand this week and wasn't. Bit of a disappointment. So we were wrong. Yep. Hey, often, often I admit happens. it. I admit it happens. Well, especially with these VOD things, because they change them. Like, I'll get an email from a publicist, and it'll say, hey, this movie's coming out July whatever. And then I'll put that on the calendar, and then I'll find out a week later that they moved it. And unfortunately, I finally, like, I came around to this movie. Like, I was, like, getting excited to see it, and then I didn't get to. (laughs) Like, all this work went into, like, building me up. Yeah, and I was... I was really stoked to see it again, uh, especially I visited the website for the movie for the first time, and it got me really excited to revisit it. It's a good website. Uh, so anyway, you predicted 94. I predicted 96. Actual 100. See, and that's one of the main reasons I'm kind of <laughs> excited about this one. I have a feeling that I'm, I might end up being that dick, that one guy. That happens I don't, a lot. I, I, do, I honestly don't know how you I'm afraid that can. it's going to happen. 
I don't know how you can't like this movie, honestly. But I, I'm very excited to have that conversation with you about that's it. Gonna be, that's going to be... I look forward to it. 100%. Have, have there ever been, since we've been doing the show, has there ever been a 100%? I'm sure there has, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's been like 100% when it's been like four reviews. This has 97 reviews. Yeah. Which is funny. You would think that there would be somewhere on Rotten Tomatoes. There'd be a contrarian. You know you know that there's going to be that well, that one dickhead contrarian that comes out and says, well, you know what? <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Because everybody else did. Because mm. <laughs> everyone else did. Where's, uh, where's what's his name? Um... Oh, there's so many. There's a, Rex Reed is Rex, one. He probably didn't see it. Armand probably didn't see and it. And Armin White. He probably didn't see it. I'll have to look and see if they if they have reviews for those. Because <laughs> Armin White, there's no way that he likes this movie. No way. They probably won't let him review it. Probably like, not. Probably no. not. No. This is like a huge win for American cinema. You're not going to screw it up. Yeah. I hope it stays at 100%. I I don't know how many movies on Rotten Tomatoes have a 100% where all critics are in agreement. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of movies where critics agree that it's bad, but it's it's very rare that they all agree that it's good. It is. It all right, next is. week we have The Purge Anarchy. Ooh, that'll probably get 100%. Oh yeah, I'm sure. The thing about this, when I first heard about this i was like no because i didn't like i didn't like the first one yeah but the this, re this sounds like the one that you wanted the first one yeah to be. this is the one that i wanted to begin with so and it's the same director i think it's the same writer and that's always a good thing they didn't get some somebody that's not familiar with it so there you go Courage. oh same uh, james demonico wrote and directed both of them okay so uh I will say I'm hoping that it's good. I'm I'm rooting for it. So I'll say a 52. I'm going to say 42. I'm not rooting for it. I could care less. I think it's a really interesting concept that they wasted in the first one that hopefully they will not in this one. Well, it looks I, like I'm, I'm the type that I, I don't think they should have been given a second chance. Okay. I don't believe in the second chance that they're getting. <laughs> and I don't support it. Well, I think the first one did make a decent amount of money, so... I'm sure it did. All right. Sex tape. What are you thinking on this oh, one? God. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a little bit better than that, so I'll say 24. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It just doesn't look good. And limited release next week, we have Wish I Was Here, the Zach Braff-directed movie. Oh, goody. I liked it. I'm standing by it. It's it's not doing so hot right now. At least on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 42, which is up from... I looked, I think, yesterday when I was writing down the scores, and it had like a 36. So, But again, there's only been 12 reviews counted for that. So yeah. I gave it a seven and a half, which is extremely generous. And I think that most people like you would probably hate it, but I agree that it is heavy handed. It's very sappy, but it all worked for me. Okay. 
Mood Indigo is the other one. Michelle Gondry's latest. Nice. Finally making its way over here. Nice. I was interested in that, but I don't know. Kind of lost me a little bit for some reason. And finally, I Origins also gets a limited release next week. I want to see that one. Yeah, I want to see that one too. On Video On Demand, we have Video Games The Movie. Okay. Documentary about video games. The Congress, which is the one with Robin Wright, where she plays Robin Wright. Okay. All right. This is by the guy that did uh, Waltz with Bashir. Yeah. I saw this. I saw The Congress. Didn't like it. Oh, wasn't wasn't a big fan. Yeah, I didn't think you liked it. Wasn't a big fan. It's interesting, but ultimately falls pretty flat. I think that it wasn't it, it wasn't very. Uh, it was kind of mishmashed. Like I didn't think that their voice was uh, concise enough in what they were trying to say in the movie. Yeah. And I wasn't a big fan of the animation style in it. The animation style looks ugly. Yeah. No offense. Well, I guess it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not offending me. I didn't like it. Uh, and then also we have Aftermath, which looks looks like a horror movie. Don't know too much about it. With Edward Furlong? Is that is he in it? Yeah. Oh Edward boy. Furlong. He was in just he was in another horror movie that just came out like a few weeks ago. I think that's all he's allowed to do. And maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of aftermath. Perhaps I think I am thinking of aftermath. <laughs> you probably. You I probably think it might have been titled something else though. Probably. No, no, it it was something different. It was called the Last Light. Oh, okay. And that one just came out. Anyway, probably not very good. DVD and Blu-ray next week. We have a night in old Mexico. Mm-hmm. D- didn't hear good things. No. Didn't hear good things about that one. Open Grave, which I saw and didn't really like. I thought there were some interesting ideas in it, but Under the Skin also, which I still have not watched, but my goal is to watch it this week. What the hell is your problem? What's your problem? I don't know. Just haven't. Get it together. Just too much to watch, Kevin. I just got so much going on. Unbelievable. I think that there's at least one exciting criterion that I that I'm you damn right thinking about picking up. Oh, yeah, right I now I think it's still happening at Barnes and Noble. They're doing their fifty percent criterion. So. That's what, that's when you're gonna scoop in, you're gonna swoop in, yeah. scoop it up. Should I say what that criterion is, or do you want to scanners? You want to deliver that news? It's David Cronenberg scanners, which features an unbelievable cover. Yes, that suckers, that's love it ridiculous i'm i gotta see scanners oh you've never seen it no i haven't oh man i think we will be discussing scanners next next week i love that you're 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 getting caught up on all these crazy 80s it's it's fun sci-fi and horror movies it's it's fun i enjoy it well there's they were so unique like they they sure as hell there's just nothing like them oh the 80s thank you yep there's one other criteria which i do not recommend at all this is robert brisson's pickpocket from 1959 brisson is extremely well loved critically acclaimed i on the other hand think that he's a shit director and pickpocket i think is one of his worst films this is just terrible yeah i remember you telling me all about so that. if you want to go for it but it, it's awful 
Well, there you have it. Uh, next week on the show, we will probably be talking more about some of the Fantasia Fest lineup, I would imagine, because I don't think there's going to be anything opening in theaters that you're going to be looking looking into. So they jump in. You don't want to do sex tape? Nope. Or how about America? What happens if she wasn't here or something? Whatever the, <laughs> whatever the subtitle of that movie is. Or that was that was the other one that I just mentioned. Uh, uh, the other faith-based movie that's coming out. Oh, there's too many. There's too many. I forget what that one was called. Yeah, can't remember. Mm. Either way, mm. I will be seeing the Purge, so I'll be reporting back on that. Okay. But yeah, so. Stay tuned. I think that that will wrap it up for the day. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For FilmPulse.net, my name is Adam. And I am Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. You got it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. <laughs>